Thank you to him. Try to save what little bit of the voice is left in order for this purpose. If you would, go ahead and turn with us to the book of Genesis, to the book of Genesis, chapter 10, to the book of Genesis and chapter 10, as we continue this morning. I will not ask you to stand for the reading of the Word, but I do ask you to reverence it in your heart. Uh, Lord willing, we will read both chapter 10 and chapter 11 together this morning before we proceed further. So let us go to Genesis chapter 10, Genesis chapter 10, verse 1. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, and Magog, and Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Mesca, and Tyrus, and the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, and Riphath, and Togarma, and the sons of Javan, Elishash, and Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided into their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families, and their nations. And the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizraim, and Foot, and Canaan. And the sons of Cush, Seba, and Havilah, and Sabta, and Ramah, and Sabteca, and the sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Out of that land went forth Asher, and builded Nineveh, and the city Rehoboth, and Calah, and Razan between Nineveh and Calah, the same is a great city. And Mizraim begat Ludim, and Adam, and Lahabim, and Naphthuim, and Pathrusim, and Kaluhim, out of whom came Philistium, and Kaphtorim, and Canaan begat Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Gergesite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Arvadite, and the Zimmerite, and the Hamathite, and afterward were the families of the Canaanites spread abroad. Verse 19. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, as thou comest to Gerar, unto Gaza. And thou, as thou goest unto Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zeboam, even unto Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. Unto Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder, even to him were children born. The children of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, and Lod, and Aram, and the children of Aram, Uz, and Hul, and Gether, and Mash. And Arphaxad begat Selah, and Selah begat Eber. And unto Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. And Joktan begat Almadad, and Selah, and Har, and Hazarmezeth, and Jerah and Hadarim, and Uzel, and Dikla, and Obel, and Abimel, and Sheba, and Ophir, and Havilah, 
and Joab. All these were the sons of Joktan, and their dwelling was from Mesha, as goest as thou goest unto Sefer, the mount of the east. These are the sons of Shem, after their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah, after their generations, in their nations. And by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. Chapter 11, verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to the another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. And they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel. Because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was an hundred years old and begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he begat Arphaxad five hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And Arphaxad lived five and thirty years and begat Selah. And Arphaxad lived after he begat Selah four hundred and three years, and begat sons and daughters. And Selah lived thirty years, and begat Eber. And Selah lived after he begat Eber four hundred and three years, and begat sons and daughters. And Eber lived four and thirty years, and begat Peleg. And Eber lived after he begat Peleg four hundred and thirty years, and begat sons and daughters. And Peleg lived thirty years, and begat Reu. And Peleg lived after he begat Reu two hundred and nine years, and begat sons and daughters. And Reu lived two and thirty years, and begat Serug. And Reu lived after he begat Serug two hundred and seven years, and begat sons and daughters. And Serug lived thirty years, and begat Nahor. And Serug lived after he begat Nahor two hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. And Nahor lived nine and twenty years, and begat Terah. And Nahor lived after he begat Terah an hundred and nineteen years, and begat sons and daughters. And Terah lived seventy years, and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took of them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Isaac. Isaac. And Sarai was barren, 
she had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, and son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees uh, to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you once more for the opportunity to come together, O oh God. Father, what a wonderful psalm we had the opportunity to hear. What a wonderful song we got to sing together, O oh God. Lord, we pray you be with us even now. Lord, I do pray on a personal level that you would give us strength and voice to be able to proceed through this. God, there are precious and wonderful truths in all of your word, and especially in this passage as well, O oh God. Father, we pray that you would give us open and attentive ears to hear, O oh God. Father, I pray that you would take your spirit and seal these things within us, confirm these truths within us, God, that we would pray and that we would be on mission that we would not only be hearers of the word, but that you would make us to be doers of this word. God, we ask and plead all of this in thy son, Jesus Christ, most holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen. This morning, I'm thankful. As always, as you have been seeing, we've been seeing different sections in all of these passages that we've been covering. And it seems to be, I don't know why, we've been in a pattern of seeing five different breakdowns, five different sections. So you'll be relieved to know this morning there's not. There's only three. So we should get done faster this morning is the plan and even our hope this morning. But in chapter 10, we're seeing some odd things because it's following on the heels of Genesis chapter 9 to where the flood has come through. God has exercised judgment on His creation but he has seen fit that not only has he exercised judgment, but he has also made sure that his creation continues. God has made sure that he has a people and that he is going to preserve his way through his people as he does in every generation. We praise God for that wonderful truth. Now, even still, we saw some odd things. We saw that what we had been calling in so many ways, what we're taught in Sunday school from an early age, is Noah is our hero, and yet Noah too was sinful. And Noah, we find at the end of chapter 9, after his sinful instances and the sin of his son Noah still died. Noah was not like his grandfather who walked with God and was no more. Even Noah himself died. That is a repeating pattern that death is in every generation. It has been well observed that as sad as it is to say there is a line among many that tell you today that death is natural. That is something natural that we are supposed to be able to process easily. Beloved death is never something that is intended to be processed easily. It does not matter how much we've been exposed to it. It doesn't matter who it is in our lives. Perhaps they're distant from us. And even though somebody may seem distant to us because they were close to us in part of our life, when we mourn their loss, something about it hits us because something about it is telling us that death is not natural. You should be able to mourn. You should be able to mourn well. We talk about blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted is in the Beatitudes of Christ. It's easy to try to be shiny, happy people and to look as if we have no problems. But if anything, in the book of Genesis, we've been seeing not only do we have problems, we have a multitude of problems. But as many as the problems are, God is yet still in control. And as much as God is in control, God is preserving His way through His people. And that seems to be all of what chapter 10 is about. Is that 10, chapter 10 is showing us the genealogies. He's showing us what we might understand is to be that first section that we talked about of our three. The first section this morning is all of chapter 10. And I would simply give it the name of the nations are multiplied. or the nations multiplied? And that's exactly what we are seeing. Is that yes, God has destroyed the earth. But He has also given them the charge to be fruitful and to multiply 
and still in His recreation as it seems to be, He is still telling them that they are to fill the earth. That is their mission. That is their purpose. And here in chapter 10, we see that they have gotten about that purpose. They are filling the earth. In chapter 11, at the end of it, it's continued on that same accord. We see that God is continuing continuing to multiply the nations. And this is something that we begin to see that's a little bit different. In the first several chapters of the book of Genesis, we have seen that God is multiplying the direct lineage of Adam. God has been working directly through the lineage of Adam, and He was keeping it down. And all the lineage of Adam was ultimately leading us to the story of what was going to happen with Noah. But when we get to the offspring with Noah, we're beginning to see something different, something that is major, something that is turning in the story and in the narrative of Genesis. And it's no longer that we're just working through the direct lineage of Noah, though surely we are, though surely we are working through the lineage of Shem, but instead we have the emergence in chapter 10 of the nations, that the world is being filled. But not everything within the world is good. As we've already seen, there's a bad element to it. We've seen that Nimrod kind of seems, it's kind of, the language is kind of odd on it. Is Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Well, what does it mean before the Lord? Was, was Nimrod doing it to the glory of God? I'm not real sure. Some scholars are arguing that it actually means that Nimrod was taking this upon himself. When I first read it, I just thought that man, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. But one thing that we can note about Nimrod in his time was he looked what the world would expect a king to look like. He was mighty. He was a hunter. He had everything going for him in so many ways. And he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. So I don't know. Maybe it means that he he was doing it to the glory of God. Maybe it means that he doesn't, but either way, it seems to be that in the story of Nimrod, the Lord was not the one that was being made much of. Instead, Nimrod, and it gives us a hint, was he was the one that was his offspring, his place, was that of Babel. And Babel is an interesting name in and of itself, is that Babel has two different meanings. You've already heard the story. Perhaps you well know the story of the Tower of Babel, and we're about to get into that in our second movement of the text, and that being in chapter 11, verses 1 through 9 of the book of Genesis. Verses Chapter 11, verses 1 through 9 is our second movement of the text. And that word Babel needs to be expounded upon because it means two different things. It means in the original native language of these people, it means the gates of the gods. It means that they are trying to get to God through their own means. They're trying to look unto God and to get to Him. Perhaps we look at the Tower of Babel and we see the confusion of it, but we know that there's something even in the name. But it's interesting to know that as much as they're trying to get to the gates of God, the word Babel is means confusion in Hebrew. It has two different meanings to it. It has the meaning of the people, and then it has the meaning of the people of God. How many times there's something like that in our lives? How many times we look at the rainbow? And I'm not trying to get on anybody's case. I'm not trying to be mean to anybody this morning by any means. But how much you and I can see that real and present symbol in our lives. The rainbow, if you present it to, a, to the rest of the world, they're going to see one thing. They're going to associate certain things. They're going to associate certain cultures with it and certain all of that that goes with that. That's what they're going to associate with it. But for you and I who have been born again, for you and I who know the Word of God and understand ourselves to be the people of God through the blood of Jesus Christ alone as we believe, and trust in Him alone, we know that it means the promise of the seal of the covenant of God. We know that it's a sign unto God's people that God is going to remember and that God is going to fulfill His covenants. 
Beloved, there are many things in this world that last week we had the great blessing of partaking in the Lord's Supper. The early church was heavily criticized for taking part of the Lord's Supper. And I thought that that was just something that happened in the early church. But even to this day, people accuse Christians of cannibalism in some sort because we say this is the body and this is the blood of Jesus Christ. And we understand what it represents. We understand God's presence as we partake in the Lord's Supper. We understand that. We don't have a Catholic understanding of that. We don't have a Lutheran understanding of that perhaps. But we do have our understanding that God is with us when we participate in that. And we do this in remembrance of God himself. They think it to be cannibalism. They think it to be something insulting unto God. The world has their understanding of what the Lord's Supper means. You and I have a different understanding of what it means. It's an exclusionary event. We don't invite all of the world to it. We invite those who are born again, those who have been baptized and are regular members of the church. We had a good conversation about this. Some of us last night as we were going and we had been in toured little Bethlehem or one night in Bethlehem as it is called. We had that discussion last night, some of us. Beloved, these are things the world associates, one meaning to it, but you and I have a different understanding of it because we belong to God and God has invited us in. Had God never explained the rainbow, we wouldn't have known the significance of the word rainbow. Had God never expounded unto us what he meant by the word Babel, perhaps we would simply have a Gentile understanding of the word Babel. It seemed like a way to get to God, but what God had actually used it to do was to confuse the situation. So in this second movement of our story this morning, we have in chapter 11, verse 1, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had, had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto the heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Beloved, the context, in their, or not the context, but the, the intention behind their words as you see it is us, 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 us. It's all about what they are doing. And it's all about what they want to do. And you see that they have a fear of being separated. Now that is something that surely we can understand. Surely we can understand what it means to be ostracized from the rest of our culture, from the rest of our communities. Surely it knows, we know what it means to be kicked outside of the camp. Last night, as some of us were touring one night in Bethlehem, we were looking that they had represented there a colony of lepers that were just outside the gates of the city of Bethlehem. They were, they were dirty. They had leprosy. They were not allowed into the rest of the city. And beloved, that was not a bad thing. The reason that the lepers were cast out to the outside was for the overall health of the city. There was a reason that they're on the outside. Is it a harmful? Is it a hurtful thing? Is it sad to see somebody? And I loved it. Somebody's compassion as we were walking down. I'm not going to name names, but it sure was wonderful last night. And somebody said, I feel sorry for them. Y'all, it was just a play, basically. It was just people putting on. It was just people acting. And yet somebody exercised compassion in their tone of voice and said, I feel sorry for those that are outside of the city. Perhaps it's somebody that knows what it feels like to be an outcast from the rest of society. Perhaps it's somebody that understands what it means to be separated from everybody else. And surely that's what the fear of the people was here. Beloved, this is an ancient fear. This is not just a fear that exists in our generation. Within each and every one of us, we want to belong at least to somebody. We may not have a large community, but we at least want to have part of our community. As we have seen from the beginning in the book of Genesis, when he said it is not good for man to be alone, that's not just talking about husbands and wives. We see that it's not good for man to be alone. What does that mean for single people? Beloved, singleness is a great gift. 
I have the great blessing of, and this is why I will not be having services next Sunday, though if you want to, you can come join us at uh, Shiloh Metropolitan Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Feel free to come on down and, and join with us there next week if you should so please. This is where we intend to be next Sunday morning. But on Saturday, I, I have this great blessing of officiating this wedding, and I get to look at two people that have decided it's best for them not to be single. But beloved, i got to say this, just because the beauty of marriage is there and the wonderful things that are in marriage, I am so blessed and so wonderfully blessed to be married to Miss Tara. There is a gift of singleness that sometimes needs to be upheld. There are certain people in this world that need to stay single. They get married and it winds up being a marriage that's not meant to be. It means to be that it's a marriage that's not ordained by God. It's a marriage that God never intended. Beloved, to look at the passage that we're not supposed to be unequally yoked, maybe in a situation which means you don't need to get married because the person that you are going to get married to, you're going to be unequally yoked. Yes, they may be a believer, and yes, you may be a believer, but that's not all that there is to being equally yoked. There is much more. I love how Miss Tara, I'm so blessed. She and I fit like a glove with each other. She and I just fit each other, and we had friends of us that confirmed that in our lives. That's what we're looking for. But even still, if you're a single, you're not meant to dwell in this world alone. You're still meant to exist within a people. You're still meant to exist within a community. But there's another problem with this world is they're afraid to do what they've been called to do. Because as much as the nations have been being multiplied, and as much as we saw that in chapter 10, the problem is they've gotten on this plane in Shinar and they don't want to go anywhere else. God has told the people of the world that they're supposed to go create, that they're supposed to go multiply, fulfill, and subdue, fill and subdue the rest of the world. It meant that we're supposed to be a people that go out there and fill the rest of the world. It means that all of that, that they're supposed to be a people that don't just stay where they are, they're supposed to be a people that are multiplying and going out from just where they are. That God is going to keep them in community, yes, but they're going to be a people that are separated from others. Sometimes certain separations from certain communities are good in our lives. Sometimes we need to forsake our raising. Sometimes we need to forsake the, forsake the culture that we grew up in in order that we may do what God has called us to do in our lives. Some of us have to put away the history. I'm reminded of that greatly in this building always. That Shed Road's not always been the dweller of this building. There was a time that a group of people met here before us that some of us, a couple of us here this morning, still happen to have been part of both congregations. Two of us this morning used to be a part of Pilgrim Rest. He and I have had to take actions in our lives to walk away from some things. There were some good things they did. I'm not harping against everything they did. I'm not harping against all my family this morning. I'm just saying there were some things that my brother and I and the rest of my family and I, we had to get out from among our people and out from among our kindred, and they left us with the building. So we figured we'd do something with it, I guess. It's amazing to me. We got left, and... You know, sometimes I wonder about those people and I wonder, God, why'd you bust us up? God, why'd you divide us up? Because there's some of them that it hurts to this day. I miss them to this day. And I'm like, God, why'd you bust us up? Why'd you separate us? Because do you know what I found? They've been planted in other congregations. God has moved them into other faithful congregations and into other faithful churches. And He's using them in those contexts. He's using them. He saved their offspring in different places. And I don't know if God would have done that in Pilgrim Rest. God has a purpose in everything that He does. Let us not become selfish against His motivations. Let us not begin selfish and just plant ourselves here on the plane of wherever we are and not fulfill what God has called us to do and then try to reach up to Him in the way that we would. Beloved, we don't get free reign to try to reach out to God how we would like to. 
Instead, we reach out to God according to His plan. And see what God does in verse 5. He says in verse 5, He says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. This they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to! Let us go down there and confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore the name of it is called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon all, upon the face of all the earth. What they were building, what they were seeking to make a name for themselves, God was the one who created confusion. I wish that I could remember who it was, but there was somebody that once said, a generation ago now, but it's not been that long removed if it's only one generation. He said, wherever the golden arches and McDonald's are, there will be no war between those two nations. If one nation has a McDonald's and the other nation has a McDonald's, there will not be war between those two nations. And I think that was spoken maybe back in the 80s that the man who said that in the 80s was when that was spoken into it. And it became a knowledge and it became an operating knowledge that war was not going to exist between two nations that had McDonald's until, of course, if you remember in uh, 2022 when Russia invaded Ukraine and that all of a sudden two nations that had the golden arches above them, two nations that had McDonald's, all of a sudden actually were at war. And it changed. What a statement that had become the wisdom of the world was all of a sudden turned on its head. It seems crazy to me to think about that, but it seems so hopeful, it seems so optimistic that we were getting away from periods of such wars, that surely Europe was not going to be called in another war. Surely Europe was never going to see another war because they both have McDonald's. As long as we have McDonald's, we'll be okay. As long as we have the Tower of Bible, we'll be okay. Now, if you go out after this service and you decide you want McDonald's, you're not going to hurt my feelings a bit. I'm not trying to condemn McDonald's. Not a thing. My brother would be upset with me if I condemned Ray Kroc's hamburgers. He thinks they got the best one that anybody's ever made. Still to this day, I'm not condemning McDonald's. But the beloved, the wisdom of the world will never stand against the counsel of God. The wisdom of the world will never stand against the Word of God. God said, go, fill, and subdue the earth. And the people refused to do what God had said. As much as they did make it about themselves, and as much as surely God, we see how much God has against idolatry. We see how much in every condition God calls idolatry, abomination, abomination, abomination. I had to look that word up the other day. In every instance, almost, almost every instance, not every instance, but in most every instance, it is talking somehow about idolatry. It is talking about that idolatry is an abomination. This is an abomination because it is idolatrous. It is against the order and creation of God. Beloved, let us know that God has created this world in a certain way. That you and I have not been given authority over this world. You and I have been given stewardship of this world. We may have authority over animals. We may have authority over various means of the creation. But beloved, we have not been made authoritative over creation. We have just been given stewardship of creation. And we owe it to God to do what He has called us to do. We saw in chapter 10, we saw the nations were multiplied. Here in verses in chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, we saw that the nations are divided. But in chapter 11, verses 10 through 32, for the sake of y'all having to hear it again, I won't read all of that again this morning. Notice deserving of being heard again. In chapter 11, verses 10 through 32, the story continues. Many people have a complaint when they come to the Old Testament in particular 
there have been people that said we need to be unhitched from the, from the Old Testament. I know where they were going. I think they're wrong about it, but I know where they were going. Sometimes it's boring to read these things. Sometimes it's boring to sit here and read the genealogies. And, and this morning, our, our passage that we're in, it's bookended. We started with the genealogy and we finished with the genealogy. We understand Hebrew structure of writing that we needed to understand what's in the center of it and that what's in the center really matters. It's probably what it's trying to attribute. It's probably what it's trying to get us to understand is the center of it. And surely that's what we're understanding is we're trying to understand what happened with the Tower of Babel. We're trying to understand that yes, God is working even though the world is sinning, even though the world is refusing Him. God is using all of the sinful brokenness of the world to achieve His purposes and it continues in the next generation. We had the nations multiplying. We had the nations divided. And now we have the nation's hope as presented in here. This morning, I'm interested to note that this is the last time we'll meet together before Christmas Eve. And of course, because next week we won't be here and we'll not be having services at Shed Road Baptist Church next week. But again, you're invited to join us in Jacksonville. But even still, the next time we meet is on Christmas Eve. And what a wonderful time it is. I loved meeting last year on Christmas Day. But what a wonderful time to meet on Christmas Eve. We, we expect the hope of the nations. Beloved, what Christ has done, He's come to die not only for us, He's come to die for the nations. He's come to die for all who will believe on Him. He came not just to die for this one family that we see about. And surely we're introduced to our next major character in the book of Genesis. We're going to get into, we're introduced to Abram, who's going to have his name changed to Abraham. We know that we're about to have the wonderful stories of Abraham and all of his offspring. But right now we're seeing that God has a hope for the nations. God doesn't only have a hope for the children of the Jews or the children of Israel or the children of Abraham. No, God has a hope for the nations, for all who will believe in the Son Christ Jesus, that who's, who God is working His purposes for. Yes, God exercises judgment against sinfulness, but beloved, He invites you to Himself. If you have a broken sinful condition about yourself, come to Him anyway. Whatever sinful condition you find yourself in this morning, come to Him anyway. If you have great brokenness in your life, He doesn't mind. Come to Him anyway. Don't be as the children of Babel. Don't be as the generation of Babel trying to make a mighty name unto yourself. Don't make it about you, but instead, cast yourself upon Him and rely on Him and in Him alone. Oh, beloved, if we could but see that one point of all of this in Genesis chapter 1 through 11 is that we're dependent on God and that we're dependent on God's preservation. As I told you about in this Hebrew structure, that when we see these different divisions in the text, if it's got bookends on either side, we need to understand what's important in the middle. Do you know that Genesis chapter 1 through 11, it starts with the genealogy? Genesis chapter 1, it starts with the genealogy. It starts with the genealogy of creation. It's the genealogies of creation. Perhaps your Bible says that mine does. I believe it is. Maybe this copy or another copy I've got at the house says it is the genealogy of creation in Genesis chapter 1. And in chapter 11, it ends with creation. So that tells me we might need to key in on something that would be in the middle between chapters 1 and 11. Well, between chapters 1 and 11, we find chapter 5. What's contained over there in chapter 5? Chapter 5 is another genealogy. Beloved, if we understand anything, it is that this life goes on. Now, some of us had a conversation of when are we going? Am I going to be caught up at this point? Am I going to die and then go? What's going to happen? How am I going to leave this world? Beloved, I don't know. Again, I've shared it so many times. I had a great grandfather that stood behind the same book board. I never heard him preach, but I can just about imagine. He said, you better repent for Jesus is coming soon. And y'all, I still believe Jesus is coming and Jesus is coming soon. 
But it could be 2,000 more years from now. I don't know. It'll still be soon. It'll still be as the blink of an eye within the beholding of God. God is from eternity to eternity. He exists in a time frame that you and I simply cannot understand. Just because God doesn't do it in the time and in the ways that you and I perceive that He should, God is still working. God could have done this so many different ways. This morning we conclude in Genesis chapter 11. And I'm left with a whole bunch of questions. I've probably got more questions than what i got answers. As we've done this deep dive into the book of Genesis, or it's not really been that deep in so many ways, but a deeper than normal dive perhaps we could say, I'm left with a whole lot of questions. God, why would you do it this way? God, why would you order it this way? So much of it I don't know. God doesn't explain to me why He does everything. But what God has given me, I know to cling to it. What God has told us, let us cling to it. We're not going to understand everything on this world. We're not going to understand why God does it this way. I woke up this morning asking God why on a dozen of things. I wonder, God, why would you do it this way? Why would you do it that way? But beloved, all that I know is in my weakness of not understanding, God seems to work the loudest. When I don't know why, but I can just trust in God, that's when the moments are sweetest with God. When I don't know the next step that I should take, that's when God's light seems to shine the brightest. Beloved, I don't know why He's done all these things, but I know that in the beginning God, and I know that if I can believe in the beginning God, the rest of this book is a whole lot easier to believe. And I know that even this morning, He's given us hope. We might not have the immediate return of Jesus, but let us prepare. Let us do what He has called us to do. Let us be faithful to Him. Let us not be as the unfaithful of Babel, but let us be as the faithful generations that continue and proceed in the hope and in the trust of Christ Jesus alone. Let us pray this morning. Father, we thank You for this blessed truth that are communicated from Your Word. We pray that You would help us this morning always, that we would sing for Your glory when we sing, that we would live for Your glory as we live our lives, that when we speak, and we may we speak words of encouragement to one another. And we speak words of encouragement to the rest of this world. Lord, if somebody this morning is here and has a broken sinful condition, whatever it means, God, we all have them. We bring them all before you, trusting them to you, O oh God. Father, there's certain thorns you've given us in life that we don't understand, that we don't know how to bear. God, we trust them to you anyway. We pray that you help us to bear them. We pray that you'd help us to live for you and for your glory, O oh God. Lord, we don't understand it all why, but may we trust fully and holy in your name this morning. We pray it all and ask it all in thy Son, Jesus Christ, most holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen.